Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We're taking a look at the disciples of Jesus, and we've entitled the sermon series, Ordinary, to give us this idea of understanding that when Jesus called the disciples, they were fairly regular, ordinary people. There was nothing extraordinary about them. There was nothing in many of their temper or demeanor that would make us think, wow, what a, what a candidate to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We saw that with some of the character traits of Peter and James and John. A lot of them were self-centered. They thought about who would be the greatest, all of those different sorts of things. And Philip, I think, is a great example as well for us to realize that uh, being a disciple or discipleship is not for those that have, quote unquote, made it in the Christian walk. It's for those who want to grow in the Lord. That's what discipleship is. And that's who discipleship is for. Discipleship is not for people who have everything figured out. It's not for people who know everything in the Bible. Discipleship is for those who want to grow. And so if you're here today thinking, you know what, I want to grow. I want to grow in the Lord. I want to grow in my walk with Jesus Christ. I want to grow as a Christian. I want to grow as a disciple. Well, well, then discipleship is for you. And I want to see a few interactions that Jesus had with Philip that developed him as a disciple. The first of which being Jesus called Philip. We just read the passage. Just to give you a little bit of context, we're here in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we read that Jesus has just been baptized. So Jesus went to John the Baptist, he went to the Jordan River, and there he was baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit came upon him, we know about that. The very next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And two of John the Baptist's disciples went and followed Jesus. That was Andrew and John. Andrew then, if you remember from before, what did he do? The first thing that he did was he went to Peter. He went to his brother Peter and he said, we have found the Messiah. And he brought Peter to Jesus Christ. So now you have at least Andrew, Peter, and John, the three of them there that are there with Jesus. So in verse number 43, when it says the day following, this is the day after Andrew has brought Peter to Jesus Christ. If you wanted to, you could back up and read some of those verses. So Andrew has brought Peter to Jesus Christ. This is where Jesus says, he calls him Peter. His actually name is Simon. He calls him Peter. The very next day then, in verse 43, it says, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth P uh, Philip and saith unto him, follow me. So Jesus, after having received Peter, the next day he has a plan to go from where he was near the Jordan River to go up north to Galilee, right? So that's his plan. But before he goes, he has one more thing to do, which is he needs to find Philip. So he goes, he finds Philip, he calls Philip before he goes up into Galilee, this is very important for us to realize that Jesus went looking for Philip to call him to be his disciple because Jesus wanted Philip to be his disciple. Jesus wanted Philip to follow him. And not because Philip was such a great man, not because he would be such a great asset to the ministry, 
but because Jesus loved Philip. That's why he called him. Jesus called him because he loved him. Psalms 8, verse number 4 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? It, we know that Jesus is God. Amen? Amen? Jesus doesn't need us, does he? Right? It's not like Jesus in his public ministry needed disciples. Jesus is God. Amen? Amen? He could do whatever he wanted, however he wanted, whenever he wanted, and everything would have gotten done. He didn't need disciples, but his disciples needed him. And so Jesus went looking for Philip, knowing that he needed him. Think about the mentality that Jesus Christ had when he was here on earth. Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, Jesus' mentality was, here are people who have a need, and I want to help them. That's why Jesus went and he died on the cross. That's why Jesus came to this earth. And that's why Jesus came to find Philip. See, Jesus does not call disciples because he is demanding. He calls disciples because he is loving. He calls disciples because he knows you need, you need help. You need some encouragement. You need some learning. You need some growth. And I want to help you in that area. Jesus' calling comes with compassion, but it also needs commitment. It's interesting, the calling of Jesus Christ. In verse number 43, it says, He findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now, Jesus didn't exactly say what Philip would be asked to do, right? He didn't say, Follow me and bring my lunch every single day. Follow me and bring all my stuff and make sure that we have you know, housing arrangements everywhere we go. He just simply said, follow me. The discipleship of Jesus Christ is open-ended, meaning this. When Jesus says, follow me, he doesn't always tell you exactly what you're going to be following him into. You don't always know that. Let's go all the way back into the book of Genesis. Let's think about Abraham. Remember Abraham's calling? They, oh, way back in Genesis, what is it, chapter number 12, it says, Now the Lord had said to, unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. He says, I want you to leave everything behind, and I'm going to move you to another place, and I'll let you know what it is when you get there. Abraham didn't know what he was going towards. He just knew God told him to leave some things behind and go and follow him. And so he did. Oftentimes, the discipleship of Christ is simply Jesus saying, follow me. Well, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Don't worry about it. Just come and follow me. Will you commit yourself to me? Will you commit yourself to whatever it is that I want you to do? That's how I got called into full-time ministry. I got I had gotten saved. And I was going to my church, and I was there on a Wednesday night, and uh, I had, uh, I think I was still uh, in, in school or just finished school, and, you know, so I had driven over to the church on a Wednesday night, just sat there on the back row, and was just sitting there, and, and there was preaching, and, and there was, the preaching had nothing to do with surrendering my life, but I remember the Holy Spirit moving in my heart and, and letting me know, as a Christian, you should surrender your life to the Lord. And I thought, that just makes sense. God gave his life for me. I should give my life for him. 
That makes sense. Amen? That makes sense, right? If God gave his life for you, it makes sense for us to commit our lives to the Lord, no matter what it would be. And, and that's what the Lord had moved in my heart. And I said, okay, I will do that. And I thought I had a great plan. I had just graduated. I was going to get a job. I was job hunting at the time. You know, I was going to, I played the piano. So I was going to play the piano for the church. I had different ministries lined up. I was going to tithe. I was going to give to missions. I, I had all of these things that, uh, you know, lined out in my mind. And it was later that the Lord said, I want you now, now that I have your surrender, now I'm going to tell you what I want you to do, which is I want you to go into full-time ministry. That's how the Lord called me into full-time ministry. And that's what discipleship is about. Not necessarily that you'll be called into full-time ministry, but that you will simply surrender your life and say, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, I will do that. Every one of us can do that. Amen? Amen? Every one of us can say, God, whatever it is, I'll go where you go. I'll follow where you lead. And Jesus' calling leads to a connection. Well, now, Philip, in verse 44, it says, Now Philip was a Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. What's interesting about these disciples, we saw with Andrew, now again we're seeing it with Philip. When they followed the Lord, the very first thing that popped into their mind was somebody else that needs to follow Jesus Christ. There's something about when we follow the Lord, we make that commitment that I'm going to follow God. The first thing that comes into our mind is, there's somebody else that also needs Jesus Christ. There's somebody else that also needs to follow the Lord, and I want to help them. And Andrew went, and he found his brother. Philip went, and he found his friend Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, as we can see, we'll see a little bit more next week, he's a little skeptical. Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip just simply says, well, why don't you just come and see for yourself? You know, people might ask, you know, oh, what's so great about church? Come and see. Amen? <laughs> Just come and see. You never know how the Lord will work on somebody's heart. And Jesus' calling also is according to God's calendar. We're here in John chapter number one. We're in chapter number one. Chapter number two is soon following. And you know what happens in John chapter number two? The very first miracle of Jesus Christ is done in John chapter number two. Jesus goes from the Jordan River. He goes up into Cana of Galilee. It is there they are invited to a wedding. It is there that they participate in the wedding, and Jesus turns the water into wine, right? That's the first recorded miracle of Jesus Christ. If Philip had said, Jesus, I know you're calling me, but I'm a little bit busy right now. I'll come back around to it. You know what would have happened? What would have happened was Philip would have missed the first miracle of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine knowing oh, I had the chance to be there at the very first miracle of Jesus Christ, but I said, no, I was a little bit too busy. I had some other things on my mind. I know that God had called me. He said, come and follow me. And I had the chance and I missed it. 
Sometimes we think, you know what? I know what God wants me to do. I know the calling of God, but I'm a little bit busy right now. I got some other things on my mind. I got some plans and some goals that I got. One of these days, I'll follow God. One of these days, I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do those things. It's just I'm a little bit busy right now. I'm a little bit busy. I got some plans. I got some things going on. I can't really drop those things. I, 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 I'll, I'll do it later. You never know what you might miss. You never know what you're going to miss. And see, Jesus was going to do the miracle with or without Philip. Amen? Right? He was going to do the miracle anyway. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew all of these things. Jesus is God. He knows everything. Jesus was going to do it anyway. It was Philip who was going to miss out. It wasn't the people at the wedding of Cana that would have missed out. It wouldn't be the other disciples of Jesus that missed out. It wouldn't be Jesus that missed out. You know who would have missed out? It would have been Philip. Philip would have been the one to miss out. And when we don't follow the calling of Christ, it is we who miss out. Amen? We are the ones that miss out. So Jesus calls Philip and he calls them at this time, and I believe a big part of it would be, I want you to be there for the very first one. I want you to see this miracle here. So we see that Jesus, he first calls Philip. But in order to grow and develop as a disciple, we've got to know more than just the calling, all right? We might know Jesus is calling us, and if you're a believer today, God has called you to be his disciple. But there's more to growing in the Christian walk than just being called. So if you go over to John chapter number six, you're there in your Bibles, you're in John chapter one, turn a couple chapters over to John chapter number six and verse number one, we see that Jesus has another interaction with Philip where we see that Jesus now challenges Philip. So Jesus has spent some time with Philip. Philip has spent some time with Jesus. He's now matured a little bit. He's followed He's understanding Jesus, he's heard his teaching, he's serving, he's being involved, and now we're going to get to the feeding of the 5,000. It's a well-known miracle of Jesus Christ. I believe it's the only miracle listed in all of the Gospels. There's a massive crowd of people there. It's late in the day, and the disciples have a plan. They said to Jesus, Jesus, it's getting a little bit late. These people are probably hungry. Why don't you send them away into the nearby towns so that they could buy food for themselves. That's their plan. But Jesus puts forth a challenge to the disciples. So when you see in verse uh, number five, it says, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? I want you to notice the challenge of Jesus, first of all, was personal. It was a personal challenge. Notice that Jesus says to Philip. He doesn't just say it to the group. There's a time when he addressed the group. In this case, though, we see that Jesus addresses Philip individually, and he says to Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, there's a time for us to gather together and to hear what God has to say to all of us. Amen? That's what we're doing here on a Sunday morning. What we're doing is we're taking the Bible, we're opening the Bible and saying, okay, what does the Bible have to say to all of us, right? Because every word applies to all of you, amen? Every one of us can take the Bible, read it, and learn something from it. 
But when it comes to discipleship, it's not just what does the Bible say to all of us. It is what is God saying to me? How is God speaking to me? How is God challenging me? That's what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is he's challenging this individual of Philip. Because there's a big difference between, all right, Jesus is going to ask his disciples to do something, and Jesus is now going to ask Philip to do something. It would be the same situation as if I were up here today, and I was saying, I need $100. Does anybody have $100, right? All right. All of you are thinking somebody else can have $100, right? You know? But if I were to go up to you and I looked you in the face and I said, can I have $100 from you? <laughs> now that's like, oh, he's asking for a response from me. I, I can't just ignore it. I have to say yes or I have to say no. Oh, I'm really sorry. I don't have it. There's a big difference between being addressed as a group and being addressed as an individual. And Jesus in his discipleship doesn't just address the group, he addresses the individual. And you need to have that place where you are being challenged as an individual believer of Jesus Christ. I believe that's why it's so important for you to have a place of ministry. Some of them are obvious places of ministry that are just inherent in living in general. For instance, I'm married and I have kids. Part of my place of ministry to the Lord is to be a loving husband to my wife and to be a loving father to my children, right? That is my responsibility. That's not something that we as a whole do. Amen? It is not our responsibility to raise my little kids. That's my responsibility. Amen? Amen, <laughs> right? If you want to help me raise my kids, great. <laughs> I'll take all the help I can get. But that's my responsibility, right? And if you have kids, you understand implicitly, well, God gave you those kids. It's your responsibility to raise those kids. Of course, that's a, that's a wonderful responsibility. And that's a part of life in general. But also specifically in the church, I believe it's important to have, this is my responsibility here. Because I need to be challenged individually. Now, we have some great decorations up here. We've had Brother Mike do some wonderful things up here, leading the songs, and some others have done games and all sorts of different things, teaching in classes, helping with different activities, all sorts of things. That's great and wonderful. And we can, as a church, say, wow, we did some great things here. Amen? We did some great things here. But we need to go beyond that and say, all right, but where is my place in this ministry? Where is my place in following the Lord? My place in serving God? And so you might have a place in your home, that's obvious, but you also need to have a place somewhere in the church. Sometimes it just comes down to, all right, I have a friend of mine that's lost. They don't go to this church, but I do go to this church. It's my responsibility to witness to that individual over there. That's my responsibility. That's how God is challenging me to lead that person to the Lord. Maybe you do have a place in the ministry here. You teach a class or you have some formal place of ministry. But we all need to be challenged individually. Something that we could say, this is my responsibility. And if I don't do it, it's not going to be done. That's what Jesus is doing with Philip. Jesus is saying to Philip, hey, what are we going to do? What are you going to do in order to feed all of these people? But you notice the challenge of Jesus pushed Philip past his limits. In verse number five, he says, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Uh, in verse number seven, it says, it gives Philip's response, 200 penny worth of bread 
is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. So Jesus is asking Philip, essentially, are you going to feed? Let's feed all of these people. Philip responds, there's no way we could feed all of these people. If we spent all of our money to buy all of the food we possibly could and give it to all of the people, everybody would have like a tiny little bit. That's not enough. We don't have enough. When Jesus challenges his disciples, he always challenges beyond your ability. Amen? He is going to challenge you beyond your ability. He's going to challenge you to do something that you know, without God, I'm not going to be able to do this. And the reason for that is because Jesus, it says in verse number six, knew what he would do. Jesus challenged Philip because Jesus knew what Jesus was going to do. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is challenging Philip so that he will realize, wow, I can't do it. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know you can't do it. That's why I'm going to do it. Do you see that? Do you see how Jesus challenges Philip so that he would realize, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not sufficient. I don't have enough. I don't know how I would be able to do all of these things. And Jesus says, that's the point. The point is, you're not going to do it. You know who's going to feed the people? Not Philip. You know who's going to feed the people? Jesus is. Jesus is going to feed the people. In John chapter 6, verse number 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men to sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as many as they would. So here is Jesus. He talks to Philip, and he says, Philip, what are, how are you, we going to feed these people? And Philip is saying, Jesus, we have this money, but it's not enough for everybody. And Jesus essentially is saying, I know. That's why I asked you. <laughs> I asked you so that you would acknowledge you don't have enough. And so here Andrew comes and he says, well, here's a boy. He's got five loaves and two fishes. But I mean, what are we going to do with that? And Jesus says, great, perfect. That's what I'm going to use. He says, tell everybody to sit down. So everybody on the hillside is now sitting down. And Jesus takes this little lunch. He prays, he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he multiplies it. So I don't know how this exactly happened. Can you imagine being there? Just, you know, I, you know, maybe, I don't know if he has like a little bag and he's just continually pulling bread out of the bag and it's just like, when is Jesus going to run out? You know, and he's just keep pulling it out and give, here, give this to people. Here, give this to people. All right, keep going. And people are like, what in the world is going on? Okay, all right. I don't know exactly how it happened, but I do know this, that Jesus in this process had a miracle, he gave part of that to Philip, and Philip went and he took it to the people. You see what Jesus did there? He challenged Philip. Philip said, I can't do it. We don't have enough. And Jesus says, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to give it to you so that you'll give it to the people. And that's how ministry works. 
What God does is he does the work, but he does it through his people. He does it through his people. He works in the heart of his people, and they are able to give the blessing out to others. Jesus wants us to know there are things that we might look out there and be like, I don't know how we're going to be able to do that. We as a church need to be challenged in some area of, I don't know how we're going to be able to do that. You look at all of the lost people that are out there. How are we going to be able to reach all of those people? God is going to do it. Amen? God is going to be the one to work on their hearts. God is going to put some circumstance in their lives so that they will realize they need a savior. Or maybe you'll leave an invitation on their door right when they're looking for a church or something. We're in the process of looking for a church building. We need a new church building. Amen? Amen. We need a new church building. Amen? <laughs> Amen. We need a new church building. All right? We need a new church building. I don't know about you, but I've been looking around and... Um, man, it seems like there's nothing really out there that either is fit enough for us or, you know, they're really expensive out there. What are we going to do? Well, I don't know what we're going to do, but if we're going to have a new church building, it's because God is going to give it to us in some way, shape, or form. I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but God is going to be the one to do it. We need a new church building. We need more classrooms. We need more parking spaces. Amen? Amen. Those of you that have been gracious and parking out in different places and double parking and, you know, working around all of that, we appreciate all of that. And we know that. We know that people are doing all of these things. We need a new place. We need a new parking lot. And God knows that we need it. And we've been looking. And it looks like, man, I don't know if there's really any place for us, but God could do anything. Amen. If he could feed 5,000 men with a simple lunch for a little boy, he could do anything. And so we know that that's possible. I believe that God wants to challenge us as believers. The third step that we see Jesus in his, his development of, Jesus, uh, of Philip is his cultivation of Philip. So we see Jesus cultivating Philip. We see this growth that is needed in Philip, and Jesus is going to do that in John chapter number 12. In John chapter number 12, in verse number 20, we actually take a look at this briefly when we took a look at the life of Andrew and we saw some of these uh, uh, instances and these uh, events in the life of Andrew. And so Andrew and Philip have this interaction. So we're going to kind of recover this a little bit. In John chapter number 12, in verse number 20, it says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So we've taken a look at this passage before, if you've been with us, but just to back up a little bit and give a little bit of context of, okay, what is the situation and circumstances that lead to this event? John chapter number 11 is a very famous chapter where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. You remember that story? Remember when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead? That's John chapter number 11. So in John chapter number 11, Jesus goes to Bethany and raises Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter number 12, we see that people gather around and they want to see Lazarus. They heard, wow, somebody was raised from the dead. I have to see this. And they wanted to go and see Lazarus. The next day is when Jesus has his triumphant entry uh, on Palm Sunday into the city of Jerusalem. Remember, everybody has the palm leaves and they lay them down and, and they say, Hosanna. This is John chapter number 12. 
And right before the verses that we just read in verse number 19, the Pharisees are talking amongst themselves and they say, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how we prevail nothing? Behold, the whole world is gone after him. So the Pharisees are in the situation. They're the leaders, right? They're the ones that they want everybody to look up to them, follow them, listen to them. Now everybody is going after Jesus, it seems like. The whole city is talking about Jesus being the son of David, Hosanna, great praises to him. Everything is going well. Seems like the whole world is going after Jesus. And then in verse number 20, it says, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast and they wanted to see Jesus. So that kind of furthers this idea of, wow, everything seems to be going well. You ever been in a situation like that? Everything just seems to be working out. Everything just seems to be going perfectly. And these disciples, they were Jewish and they thought the Messiah would be the king that would come and he would rule and they would rule with him and they would conquer the earth in, in essence, right? They would be the rulers. Now, Jesus one day will come to rule and reign, but in this time, he did not come to do that. This time, he came to die for the sins of the whole world. But that's not what the disciples are thinking. So it's interesting. Here, everybody is saying, wow, the whole world is going after Jesus. Even these Greeks that are not from Israel, they're coming and they want to see Jesus. And Philip and Andrew come to Jesus and they tell him, there are some people that want to see you. Here is Jesus' response. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, if you were to stop right there, the disciples would have said, Yes! All right, it's about time. All right, it's time that we're going to be able to rule and reign. But in verse 24, he says, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You can see the disciples thinking, hold on a second here. What do you, what do you mean this dying thing? What, we're, we're not interested in dying. You're not going to die, right? What, what's going on here? Now, of course, we know that God's plan was that Jesus would die. Amen? And in dying and being resurrected from the, from the grave, he would be glorified. Amen? But that's not what they were thinking. That's not what the disciples were thinking. You know what the disciples were thinking? They were thinking Jesus is going to be king, and we're going to sit on his left and right hand, and we're going to rule with Jesus, and we're everything. It's going to be great. Jesus and the disciples had two different thoughts in mind, and Jesus needed to align those two things. He needed to make sure that his disciples were thinking what he was thinking. That's a part of the discipleship process, amen? That our thoughts need to align with God's thoughts, amen? amen. And that's the discipleship process. The discipleship process is my ways are not always God's ways. And so the part of growing in discipleship is so that my thoughts would align with the thoughts of the Lord. Luke chapter 22, verse number 24 says, and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. See, that's natural. We want to think about how I can go up, how I can be better, how I can be uh, higher up. Verse 25, and he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. I know that they, that's what they do. 
I know that that's what you're thinking, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. So here Jesus takes this opportunity to teach his disciples. As far as we can see, Jesus actually never meets those people that are called the Greeks here. He uses this as an opportunity to teach his disciples. And I think that's important because you never know when God is going to teach you something. Sometimes we think that God teaches us only on Sunday morning from 9.30 to 11 and then 11 o'clock to 12 when we have our different classes. But God can use any opportunity to teach you something. Amen? Amen. He can. In fact, God has put some things in place so that we might learn about the Lord, right? You ever think about the family structure that God has put in place? One man with one woman, they get married together, they commit themselves to each other, and then, Lord willing, they have children, all right? That's God's plan for the family, right? Now, you ever wonder why God did it that way? God could have done it any other way, but he chose to do it that way. You know why? He wanted to teach us about himself. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible talks about husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, right? Why? Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? You have all of these relationships. What does that teach us? It teaches us about the Lord, about our relationship with God, about some of the ways of God, and about God's priorities. And honestly, I've learned so much about my relationship with God in my relationship with my wife and in my relationship with my kids, being able to see what my kids do and how I can see things better than my kids do. And I can see farther than my kids do. And I understand things better than my kids do. And my kids don't always understand those things. And yet I expect them to obey me. You know why I expect them to obey me? Because I know things that they don't know. Amen? And I know what they're going to need. And I know what will be best for them. And that's why I do all of these things. And I don't know, you know their future lives and all of that. I just know a couple of these things. You need to do this because this is the best thing for you. They may disagree with that. <laughs> Oftentimes they do. They think that eating candy is not that bad for them. <laughs> every single day, if they could, they would eat candy every single day. They would do all of those sorts of things. But I know that's not good for them. So I tell them, no. And that has taught me a lot about my relationship with God. Now, if my kids don't know so many things and I know more than my kids, how much more does God know than me? How many things do I think, oh, this would be the best thing for me? And God says, I know a little bit more than you. That's not the best thing for you. You should go over here. But God, I, isn't this obvious? This is the way to go. And God says, no, no, no. This is the way that you should go. This will be better for you in the long term. You know why God says that? Because he knows more than I do. Because he knows what be what's better for me. And ultimately, God wants us to focus on him. In verse number 26, at the very end, it says, If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And in verse number 28, it says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So God wants us to focus on God. That's why we gather together as a church. That's why we come together. That's why we encourage you to read your Bible every day. Put your focus on the Lord.
The fourth and last area that we see Jesus helping Philip to grow as a disciple is that Jesus corrected Philip. In, in John chapter number 14, you're in there in uh, uh, chapter number 12, if you move forward one chapter, we see that Jesus has an interaction uh, with his disciples, and uh, Thomas has a question in verse number five. Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and henceforth ye know him and have seen him. So here is Thomas. He has a question. Jesus answers the question. Now Philip is going to ask, he's going to say something foolish, okay? You ever say something foolish? You ever say something? Even maybe in the middle of saying it, you're like, oh, this is a mistake. I should not be saying this, right? Philip is having one of these moments, all right? So Jesus has just said, if ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. And from henceforth, ye know him. Ye know the father and have seen him. Ye have seen the father. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father. And it sufficeth us, all right? Sometimes we are listening, but we're not really listening. You ever been there? You ever been there where you're having a conversation with somebody and you're hearing the words, but you're not really paying attention? This is Philip. Philip is hearing the words, but he's not really paying attention. It hasn't really clicked exactly what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is going to correct Philip here. He's going to correct him. He says, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He, uh, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? This shows to me something very important about Jesus Christ and his relationship with his disciples, which is this. Jesus expects forward progress. Jesus expects growth. He says, have I been so long time with you? Haven't I been with you long enough and you still don't know me, Philip? What he's saying is, Philip, you should know this by now. You ever have a teacher say that? <laughs> you should know this by now. In some ways, it's a little hard to take, but on the other hand, it also shows there's an expectation of we should be growing, amen? You know, I expect my children to grow. In fact, we bought a little thing that we put up on our wall that shows the feet, two feet, three feet, four feet, five feet, six feet. I'm not expecting my kids to get to six feet, but you know, there's a little chart there, right? I bought the chart because I am anticipating my kids to go taller and taller and taller, right? I'm not expecting my kids to stay at that same height. I'm anticipating that they will grow. I don't know how fast they will grow. I don't know how tall they will grow. I don't know any of those things, but I'm expecting next year about this time, she will be taller then than she will be today. And the following year, she will be taller still. Every year, I expect my kid to be taller, right? That's a good thing, right? It's good for her to grow. And God expects his kids to grow. God expects us to grow, to grow in faith, to grow in service, to grow in different areas like forgiveness, in love, to grow maybe in giving. God expects us to grow. God expects us to have 
forward progress every single year. One of the things that me and my wife, we do try to do every year is that when missions conference comes around, we'll have some missionaries coming in October. Every year, we try to have this commitment of maybe we won't do a lot more, but every year we want to give more than we did last year. Every year, I want to commit something more. I want to give a little bit more. And there's two reasons for that. One of which is I want to be challenged personally. I want to challenge myself to say, God, I want to give a little bit more and trust that you will provide. The other side of it is we all know about inflation. Amen. All right. We're not the only ones that suffer from inflation. You know who also suffers from inflation? Missionaries. Missionaries suffer from inflation. You ever wonder why missionaries have to come back every four, five, six years, however often they come back? They have to come back because even if they don't lose any support, sometimes they're like, you know what? Inflation is pretty bad here. And some countries are way worse than America, right? America, we're like at what? 9%? 9% is pretty bad. Some other countries are easily double digits. I was reading in Argentina, they're talking about like 40% inflation, things like that. I mean, some of these countries are getting hit really hard. And so I want to commit myself in a way, understanding some of these things. So I want to grow. And God expects us to have faith, to put our trust in him. In verse number 10, he says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? I've said these things. I've told you those things. Do you trust them? And thirdly, we know that Jesus, he expects fruit. Verily, verily, I say unto you, in verse number 12, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. God wants us to have fruit. I don't know about you, but I want fruit in my own life. I want fruit for us as a church, and God wants fruit for you as well as Christians. And so Jesus is going to call you to be his disciple so that you will follow him, so that you will grow, so that you will have fruit. That's a process. Disciples are not people who are perfect, who've got everything figured out. Disciples are people who say, I wanna grow in the Lord, and I want to follow Christ.